This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News. COVID-19 Community Conversation with hosts Leah Lem and Dr. Anthony Stately. COVID-19 Community Conversation is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anine, hello, I'm Leah Lem. We're back with more conversations, more explorations about how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Miigwech and thank you for joining us. And I'm joined by co-host Anthony Stately. Hi, Anthony. Hey, Leah. How are you doing today? You know what? I'm well. I, you know, we're getting a little bit of rain, you know, nice. and, and, and it's not as hot. I know. So basically, I am chimigwechin outside. Like, <laughs> there's a lot to be happy about right now. No forest fires, some rain, cooling off. Yeah. <sighs> I know. <laughs> kids back to school. The kids are in yeah, school, right? House is quiet. Yeah. So, and thank you so much for bringing your expertise to these conversations as the president and CEO of the Native American Community Clinic, which is just fabulous. And today we'll also be joined again by producer Chaz Wagner, and he's bringing a conversation he had with his guest and our guest, Melissa Wright, who's the behavioral health supervisor at the Boys Fort Band. Today on the show, we'll explore the more and more complex decision-making around all the options out there that help to protect one another. How to be a good relative is core to making these decisions. Absolutely. And we've talked before about that. And um, as a part of that, we'll be looking even more in-depth at vaccine requirements. Uh, so we'll have a lot to chat about. So last time we talked about what we do know versus what we don't know. Yep, and we know that vaccines work and we care about the health of our communities. But what we don't know is exactly what mandates are going to pop up, what requirements are going to pop up, and... Oh, goodness. Future variants. I keep hearing new Greek letters, and I <laughs> yeah, I just don't even know what to think. So, I mean, it's expected, right? Yeah. It can be challenging to navigate all that, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It provides a challenge, let's say, an opportunity mm-hmm. um, to get everyone on the same page as far as what to do, what precautions to take, and how strictly to adhere to them. And there, there really isn't one set of rules that we can just have and check off. Like we don't get, you know, a set of rules each day in our mailbox that we just sort of like look at and we're like, oh, okay, you know, this is the state of things right now. I got to make sure to do this, that, and everybody's going to be safe and happy and healthy. Um, it's a lot more complex than that. Yeah, for sure. And it can be really challenging as a a parent, especially now that the kids are going back to school to navigate all that. Like, I don't know if anybody else can relate to this. Maybe some of our listeners can, but like I watch the news every single day. Like I'm watching the local news and I'm watching Nora O'Donnell and I'm listening to like Fauci and like, you know, any little scrap of information I can have to help me make the decision about like, you know, are you going to do this? Are you not going to do that? Are you going to mask up? Or are you not going to mask up? Mm-hmm. You know, and then ha- and then this morning in the ride to sc- school, I had to have a conversation with the boys. It's like, you know, do are they asked the question, are masks required? No, they're not. Okay, then how do you navigate mm-hmm. that space when you know that there's people in your social sphere and in your school that aren't going to be masked and aren't going to be vaccinated as well? Right. So, 
you know, it's a, it's a, it's a constant, constant conversation with this stuff. Absolutely. We had that same conversation while driving our kid to school on the first day. He said, mm-hmm. you know, here's your KN95 mask. And he goes, well, not everybody's going to be wearing them. And I go, no, they're not. And he's like, and he's, he asks why. I said, I can't say because there are so many different reasons. Mm-hmm. So many different reasons. But what did, and I asked him, what did your doctor recommend you do at school? And he said, wear a mask. And I said, okay, so that's what we're going to do. And so he said, all right. He, the logic was there for him. That was enough. So he spent the entire, he came back home with a report that said he spent the entire day with his mask on, except for eating and playing outside. So I thought that was pretty decent for an (laughs) eight-year-old. I was going to say, he's clearly not 14 because that's not how my conversation went. But okay, Um, that's awesome. I'm really proud of him for doing that. Thank you. It was the first day though. So (laughs) we'll see what happens. I, I don't know what else to do besides try to be a good example, reinforce it, and you know, look to the advice of our doctor. Yeah, I think that's all you can do really is just show up every day, try to listen, be compassionate, um, show support, you know, and and encourage, right? That's mm-hmm. all you can do really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so more along that is you know, we've been through a lot of changes in the last mm-hmm. year and a half plus and you know some people do better with change some people don't and there are a lot of folks i know i me included i i, I needed help as well um with like mental health throughout the pandemic thus far mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and producer Chaz Wagner um, talked with Melissa Wright, who's a behavioral health supervisor at the Boys Fort Band, and they really bring a great conversation about the anxiety that's popped up in the pandemic, and also destigmatizing the need for mental health care. Let's hear from Chaz Wagner and his conversation with Melissa Wright, and then we'll talk more after we hear from them. Sounds great. Hello, I'm Chaz Wagner from KBFT, Voice 4 Tribal Radio here in Net Lake. And I'm here with Melissa Wright, and she oversees the tribe's behavioral health department. So Melissa, can you introduce yourself and tell us about your work? I'm Melissa Wright, and I'm the behavioral health supervisor. So I oversee our behavioral health services here for the tribe. I've been employed with Boys Fort for almost 10 years. Um, And I recently graduated with my master's in clinical social work. And I obtained my licensure as an LICSW, which is a licensed independent clinical social worker. COVID has brought forth a lot of hardship on our, our families and individuals. And it's important, you know, for folks to know that we're there. A lot of people have a stigma, think that you have to be crazy, quote unquote, to, you know, go to therapy. And that's definitely not the case. It's for anyone who's maybe just struggling. COVID, we've seen heightened anxiety, depression, especially when we were in lockdown, you know, and isolated and not able to really leave our homes. And so there's, you know, some some aftermath of that, that I think there are some folks out there that didn't, you know, 
maybe necessarily have depression or anxiety, but definitely with all the the stress of COVID and, you know, um, trying to juggle kids, distant learning and being at home and all the different changes, you know, that can bring out, you know, some some symptoms. Melissa brings up a lot of great points, especially about destigmatizing the need for mental health care. It seems like it's such a big a moment to get help because I know from experience and I know others know from experience that acknowledging that you need help is one, you know, one of the first steps on the journey to feeling better. Yeah. You know, this last year has been really challenging for, for so many folks. And I don't think that, you know, it pops into people's heads like, oh, I'm depressed or I'm feeling lonely and I should talk to somebody about that. I don't think that's kind of our natural swing in life. Um, and there's a lot of social forces out there that prevent us from actually sort of stepping into that space um, sometimes in a comfortable way. And so we have to sort of do some work around reminding people like it's okay to reach out and ask for help. In fact, actually that's one of the things as indigenous people, we really like to think about the way that our communities and our families and our chiyoshpiyes and, um, you know, it's structured to, to rely on one another and, 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 and to look to interdependence. And support, right? Mm. And we and and our, the world around us isn't always structured that way. Like Western culture um, highly prioritizes and values, you know, rugged independence, right? right? So um, this was not a year to sort of like sort of really value rugged independence. Yeah. You're going to really struggle if you were, you know, if you were striving for that. I suppose. Yeah, like when all the kids went home from school and you're still working your job and you know trying to get groceries somehow and all of that stuff mm-hmm. it's like how can you possibly be independent it's like you're doing the work of many people so that need yeah. for community and interconnectedness is there um, was really evidence that 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 we need that when it gets cut off like that. For sure, yeah. So let's go back to Chaz and Melissa and their conversation. And, you know, as we get through this, as we're leaning into the storm um, and understanding (laughs) how resilient we are, um, we also need that support and compassion. So here's Chaz Wagner continuing his conversation with Melissa Wright. Now that we are so many months into the pandemic, what are you seeing as the biggest needs that people and families are experiencing? For us in behavioral health, we just see a lot of a lot of stress and anxiety um, and some depression that's come out, and just kind of supporting each other through that, especially when it was during the lockdowns and stuff like that. A lot of isolation, especially living up here, you know, where it's pretty remote and rural and things like that. And so just really kind of helping people manage their worry because there's a lot of worry associated with the pandemic. A lot of, there was a lot of unknowns, um, especially in the early parts of when the pandemic came out. And so that kind of really has increased folks' anxiety and things like that. And so just wanting to, to kind of be there for folks and let them know they're not alone. Um, We are pretty resilient people. And so just helping people remind them of that to kind of use that as a coping mechanism to get through this difficult time. 
Yeah, yeah. Big effect on me too. Well, there's also a big effect of the change of your routines, the change of how we do things. You know, some people have a hard time adjusting to change. Um, and so with this pandemic, of course, we've seen different changes of, you know, the, the social distancing, the different requirements and things like that. And so sometimes it does take time for us to adjust to that. And there's that time where, you know, maybe we just need a little extra support or a little bit more empathy and compassion from other folks. I think Melissa has some great points of, you know, helping remind people of their resilience and adjusting to the change in routine through support and compassion. You know, we've talked about that before, but I really want to highlight just all the different choices that we have now. And again, speaks to how how uncertain of a world we are still in and will continue to be in for some time, just based off of the unknowns that we've discussed. Mm-hmm. For sure. I like the I like that she said, you know, we are resilient people. And it made me think about like how, you know, as indigenous people, it's one of the things that we really are good at, which is, you know, we don't always have to have all of the answers. We don't have to know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or next week or next year. There's a certain amount of sort of like faith, I think, that we have in the knowing that you know, the seasons are going to continue. The earth is going to, you know, renew herself. Mm -hmm. There's these things that we know that we can kind of count on. Um, And I'll maybe all I have to focus on is like right here, but sort of like right in front of me. And so that helps us to stand in that space of not knowing, I think, a little easier. And so sometimes it's about trying to remind people like, you know, we're resilient people. We've had lots of these kinds of things. We've had, we've actually faced pandemics, right? <laughs> and survived those things as Indigenous people. So we do have a certain amount of knowing that helps us in that space and place and trying to remind each other of that and support one another and be loving and compassionate in that moment in time is a really, you know, helpful helpful thing i think to re- to recall and, and and to remind our our family members and our community members about that you're listening to a special edition of minnesota native news covid-19 community conversations covid-19 community conversations is supported by the minnesota department of health and today we are talking about the complexities of the pandemic and decision making it seems like The more we know, the more answers that we have, even more questions pop up in their place. There's masking, vaccines, distancing, variants, going to school, all kinds of things. So let's go back to producer Chaz Wagner talking with Melissa Wright, the behavioral health supervisor with the Boys Forward Band. And she talks about caring for her staff and making sure that they're ready to help their patients. So in your role in behavioral health, what are the things you're most concerned about now at this point in the pandemic? For me as a manager, it's it's always my staff. You know, we we deal with a lot. You know, there's um, what we call compassion fatigue. And so just kind of, you know, doing our work, we have to be mindful that we're also taking care of ourselves, you know, to be able to, to manage some of all that. It gets to be um, hard sometimes, you know, day in and day out, 
helping folks and so that compassion fatigue is real and, and can kind of creep up on someone. And so as a manager, I'm always concerned that, you know, making sure my staff are taking care of themselves as well, um, because this is sometimes hard work. And so that's my first priority. And I'll, of course, just being able to make sure we have availability to be seen for others coming in to see us for therapy and, and whatnot so that we're able to get someone in quickly. Because sometimes with with our um, department, you know, some people just come in on crisis, you know, things just kind of happen and they want to be seen right now. And so we want to be able to accommodate that and, you know, provide the best care that we can because it's hard um, sometimes for folks to, to make that that call to us to come in um, just because there is still a, a big stigma around mental health and, and seeing a therapist. And and so just trying to reduce that stigma as well, um, that's super important. It's okay to come in to see us. You aren't crazy. This has been a, a, a really difficult year. And so just wanting to get that message out there that it's okay if you you need to come in for for a couple sessions. There's so much pressure placed on healthcare workers as it is. So how, you know, you have a leadership role at the Native American Community Clinic. What are you hearing? Do you hear some parallels and uh, with your position there, what Melissa's saying? For sure. I think that, you know, it's been a really challenging year for um, healthcare workers, right? We've seen people kind of like, you know, burning out, mm-hmm. as they call it, you know, leaving the field, you know, that's had impact on large health systems and really small health systems like NACs. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you work in a community like NAC, NAC, NACs providers do, we work in a community where there's so much um, unmet need. And then you layer on top of that, you know, the kinds of things that we had to deal with this last year in, in, um, in, in our community with the pandemic and then sort of some of the civil unrest, all of, all of that sort of like emotional and baggage that you sort of have to kind of wade through like a quagmire can really weigh you down emotionally and spiritually. Right. And, and, and then, and then they have to show up every day and, and, give a piece of yourself as well when you feel like you have so little to give can be really challenging because that's what you do when you provide care to patients. You're giving something of yourself in that space and place and that transaction, that interaction. Mm-hmm. And and it can be really challenging. Can you talk a little bit about caring for your staff? Like, What are those ways in which you promote health for your staff so you can care for your the patients that need the care and so on and so forth? Well, we did a lot of different things. Like we provided meals for them mm. several times a week, a couple, you know, two or three times a week. We gave them lunch. Um, you know, we, we tried to provide, um, you know, you know, extra time off in between, um, sessions. Um, we started our days later, um, you know, um, opened the clinic a little bit later. Mm. Um, tried our best to let go of, um, let people leave earlier if there were significant challenges, like did, really did our best to try to accommodate people for their, for the kinds of things that they would have to deal with if they had kids that they had to get home to early or, you know, we did our best to do those things. Mm-hmm. We also, um, over the last couple of years, even before the pandemic, we started integrating, um, traditional healing and cultural healing, um, uh, 
work into our sort of clinic Mayu. Mm-hmm. And so we had these elders and residents that we have had, you know, uh, available to our, our, our team mm-hmm. for the last couple of years. And we've done things like make, you know, smudging and medicine stations available in the clinic. So for both patients and also staff. So encourage them to do things like take time for themselves, renew their spirit, you know, smudge if they needed to go outside and take a walk if it was a, if they were able to do those things. Mm-hmm. And then provide them, you know, we also did, you know, we also provided them with some cold hard cash at times. So like just like here's you know here's five hundred dollars because we really appreciate the hard effort you've been doing. Mm-hmm. You know, do something good for yourself and your family with this um, with this uh, additional resource. Yeah, that's really great. Um, and you know, I really want to make sure that we are able to talk about the vaccine requirement that you also have at Native mm-hmm. American community clinic it it was uh, made a put into effect in early August yep and can you tell me a little bit about requiring the health workers uh, to get the vaccine and kind of that decision making process behind it yeah um, you know it was not an easy decision to arrive at mm-hmm. You know, when I made the decision, I, I consulted lots of folks. You know, I talked with other leaders in the clinic. I talked with my board of directors, um, who are comprised of many of these people are, are community members as well. Um, and then I, um, I talked with some elders. You know, I also prayed on it. I had just before that, like two weeks before kind of arriving at this decision, I was at Sundance and... Um, I had some moments um, during that period of time when I was in that ceremony where I thought about, you know, the challenge before us as a uh, as a community and as as a nation of people and how we have been impacted so significantly by the pandemic. We, you know, look at some data for both Minnesota but also across the United States, like some of the highest rates of infection, some of the highest rates of hospitalization. The highest rates of um, of death by COVID, and I just, um, you know, I was kind of watching the national conversation with some of the other larger health systems, and I just thought, you know, you know, the the moment felt right to make this kind of decision because um, the Delta variant had sort of kind of made this huge surge. We're seeing rates increase significantly over the last few weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think that was particularly challenging for me and some of the conversations I had with elders and people in the community um, and our own leadership was the the vulnerability in our community that we had with so many of our young people under the age of 18 who weren't yet vaccinated. If they were 12 and above and they had the ability to get vaccinated, they hadn't had it yet. Mm-hmm. And then also um, just the fact that we have so many young people who in our community who don't even have the ability to take the vaccine, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, they're under the age of 12. And I just thought the data hasn't looked his- good historically. And this particular surge is, makes us very vulnerable. And I just was not willing to risk an outbreak in the clinic or an outbreak in the community. And I thought, we as a community, as a community clinic, a clinic that serves one of the most um, vulnerable communities in South Minneapolis, we we have to we have to make a decision here, right? 
And I relied on, I think, what I've been sort of taught through example by other indigenous leaders that I've sort of seen, you know, I'm, I'm talking about my elders and people, you know, who I watched while I grew up. They made decisions about what they were going to do based on what was in front of them, you know, the crisis at the time, the moment at the time. They made decisions about, um, you know, their actions and what was going to be best for the greater good, right? Not themselves individually, but the greater good, uh, our community broadly. And and I thought, this is a moment in time where it requires me to make a similar decision. You know, NAC's value, our mission is to be a good relative to everyone, right? Underlying that that value is the principle of being a good the, the principle of being a good relative is is paying attention to our responsibility to protect our young ones and all of the future generations. You know that that principle of the of the seventh generation is a really important principle. Like here I am, I'm standing in the center, and I'm looking three generations back, and I'm looking three generations forward, and I'm the embodiment of the seventh generation. And it's my responsibility to ensure that we have the best outcomes for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. And the only way to do that at this moment in time for me and many of the people I talked about was to make this decision. Mm-hmm. And it, it, was a, it was not an easy decision to make. It was a really difficult one to make. I knew that we'd have some cost to pay for that. Mm-hmm. I knew that some people would leave and I knew that some people would not be happy and 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 I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know it's it, it's really comes down to values and priorities and you know another example of not embodying that like rugged Independence was it rugged mm-hmm. <laughs> individualism, individualism. <laughs> yeah. that the West so values, yeah. <laughs> but instead yeah. understanding that we're all connected, mm-hmm. all related, and we gotta look out for each other because that's how we get how we get through all this. Yeah, so. yeah, and I think that's what the pandemic has taught us really globally is that you know my very well-being is connected to lots of people I don't even know. Yeah. Like it has really fundamentally shown us like we, yes, in, in, in actuality, we all are all related. Yeah. There, there is, you know, we all have something to contribute to this, to the solution, right? Mm-hmm. And this is my little piece that I could do to try to ensure that. Great. Well, Anthony, it's so wonderful to continue these conversations with you. I'm learning so much. Um, and also from producer Chaz Wagner and the guest today, Melissa Wright, behavioral health supervisor at Boys Fort Band. I think we have we have something going on here. Nice little sitting at the dining room table chat. So I appreciate yeah. you being at the dining room table with me. Well, thank you so much. It's been lovely being here and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with everybody who's listening today.
Thank you for listening today. Chimi Gwich. I'm Anthony Stately. And I'm Leah Lem, Gigawabaman, and I wish you health. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.